Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition, and this is actually part two of a series that we're doing on the categories of money scripts. Money scripts are typically beliefs, messages uh, that we have around money that operate 24-7, touch every single decision we make about money. And while the average person can have 50 to 200 of these just based on our experience and and research with people. Most of them fall into four categories, and this is work credited to Dr. Brad Klontz. And those four categories are money avoidance, money worship, money status, and money vigilant. So today we're going to take a look at money worship because in our last episode we looked at money avoidance. And typically, Somebody's going, most of us are going to have a dominant category where our, our money scripts seem to uh, be more pronounced, right? More problematic, more rigid. So, and it, it really doesn't matter. There's not a right or a wrong category of money scripts. But it does tell us a little bit about perhaps some of the challenges we're going to have, maybe some insights into our history. And for those of you listening that are financial therapists or financial planners or financial coaches, if you're working with a client, understanding what their dominant money script category is, it's just going to give you a little insight clear away maybe a little bit of the fog as to what this particular person struggles with in the way of money scripts. So with that, let's dive in and talk a little bit about money worship. So money worship uh, would include beliefs, like the driving belief is things would get better if I had more money, now, I don't know. I'm laughing because that is a, a real, real common money script and, and one that I certainly had. You know, geez, if I could just earn a little bit more money, life would be good. And I, I may have said in a past podcast that at one point in time, I figured if I could pay off my 750 square foot home, which I bought for, oh, I'm thinking $20,000 and have $10,000 in the bank, I would be set. Now, this was back in the 70s. So there's been a little inflation, but let's just say it's $50,000 today, right? And some of you are already laughing. And you know what happened is that goal kept moving forward. 
Another common money script with money worship is that more money is going to make me happier. I've written a lot of columns on this, and that is true, but it's contextual. What the research has found, and I'm going to adjust this a bit for inflation, is that if a person makes under 75000 a year, and again, we have to relate that to your geographical location because $75,000 in Rapid City is going to buy you two to three to even four times the lifestyle it will at places in California, New York, and other coastal cities. So that is, hold that very loosely. But there is a point where if we're making 30000 a year with a spouse and three children, doubling that is is going to produce more happiness, okay? Because it's, it's just kind of based on survival. But there's a point when uh, statistically, by the research, that happiness does not increase as exponentially as it would in those lower income brackets. So let's just say somebody making 100000 a year, now making 200000 a year, is not going to have the same increase in happiness that the person making 30000 a year will have making 60000 So just to clear that up, another popular money script with this particular category is money would solve all my problems. And um, again, it is... Uh, widely held. Now, money worship tends to be associated with the following groups. The young, so more chances are not if you have this money script. You are younger. Again, they'll hold this loosely, okay? Uh, You're single, so more single people tend to hold this money script. If you have lower levels of education, let's say you didn't graduate from high school or a person hasn't uh, graduated from college, the lower the education level, the higher the chance that that money worship is going to be an issue. A lower income is uh, also another uh, predictor of this lower net worth, and high levels of revolving credit. So if you don't pay off your cards every month and carry a continual high balance on your credit cards, this could be uh, also associated with somebody that has these money scripts. And it kind of, that makes some sense, right? Because more money is going to make me happier. Money It's going to solve my problems, and in this case, it's being spent, okay? Because if I get this, if I get that, if I get that, then I'll be happy. Then I'll uh, I'll have uh, what I need in life, what I want in life. So uh, looking at the money behaviors, which we've talked about in past podcasts, this particular category money script has been found to predict that a person may have or has a higher chance of having compulsive buying disorder, all right, where you just compulsively buy whether you need the the item or not. I remember a lady that 
that whose husband passed away and about a year after we were doing some work together and she said I went and opened my closet and I found 83 dresses that I hadn't even put on and she hardly remembered buying them but she bought to soothe the deep grief and pain that she experienced from losing her husband. Uh, they will tend to be a predictor of hoarding disorder. So hoarders will tend to have uh, money worship. Workaholism, I mean, now that makes sense. And uh, workaholism is my uh, drug of choice. It uh, I used to work to medicate the pain, to medicate the emotional pain. And easily worked 60 hours a week usually, probably toward 80 hours a week. Financial dependence on a person, just a dependency on anything, government program, it's a predictor of that. It's a predictor of financial enabling. That's where you are giving to someone, typically a child, and enabling them rather than let them go without or learn the, the lessons of poor money decisions themselves. Thinking, well, more money, giving them money is going to solve their problems. And it, it's also soothing us from the anxiety and the uh, pain of watching a, a child struggle. And then financial denial, just absolutely in denial about you name it anything that any way that money works i had someone work for me once who literally won the lottery and she came in one day and was just livid and i'm like what what's wrong i can't believe they took one third of what i got it was they the government they took a third. And this is back in the day when the high tax bracket was probably about 35% or about a third. And I said, well, I mean, that's in the tax code. That's when you hit a certain level of income and your lottery winnings were income, you pay a third of it. Well, that's not fair. I'm not rich. Well, what's rich? According to the tax code, you were rich that year. And just complete denial that that was fair or the, the way that it ought to work. So, what are some things that, if you fall into the category of money worship, that uh, maybe you could employ in your life that would be uh, helpful? And we know that we live in a society that just really believes that more money is going to equate to more happiness. And let, let me add this. You know, in the days I started doing this work, I would absolutely tell you that money cannot buy happiness. I mean, I knew that in a pretty unaware state that, oh, of course, everybody knows money can't buy happiness. But that's not how I live my life. That's not my behaviors. And I think it just takes somebody who's 
pretty transparent with themselves and pretty honest with themselves to say, yes, I fall into the category of money worship. I really think more money is going to make things better, is going to make me happier. This is reality in my life. So if you can say yes, I really do believe that you are almost halfway home to be aware. So some of the things that you might consider, and these are tips from Dr. Brad Klontz again, a giving to think about how could I give to others? And this can be important to experience because the money worshiper is getting, is collecting, right? And part of what is important is to realize and experience the joy of giving to someone else. And this can be really hard for a money worshiper. It can be a real hard step to take. So like anything, it's good to start with baby steps. It's important for giving to budget, you know, and not not get carried away by carried away. I mean, the pendulum swings from I don't give to anything to I will give to everything. And I have seen folks literally giving themselves into poverty. So this is talk about talking about a healthy giving. And we're not talking about enabling okay so if we're we're giving which is an issue with money worshipers right we that was on the list of behaviors that can come out it's also important not to give from a sense of guilt or shame or obligation that creates a whole set of problems in and of itself so, and another thing you, you could do, you could consider giving of your time, you know, as giving. That is uh, very, very valuable. But it, it might help to start baking in some giving into your budget or into your time. Another thing that can be helpful is to learn how to escape buyer's remorse. Just inherently in money worship, there is an excitement, there's a juice, there's an adrenaline in buying. That's why this type is given to compulsive shopping, compulsive buying. It's exciting, it's fun, it stimulates the parts of our brain that produce dopamine. And, and for some folks, it it's kind of stimulates the hunt. I know that that oftentimes when I'm shopping, I'm hunting, right? So then, uh, like a, a lot of things, when, when the party's over and the item is procured, the excitement starts to reduce, the chemicals in our brain start to subside, and we can, uh, it's like we wake up from a drunken stupor and we take a look at what we just bought. And I literally had a client once who would black out. He'd go on spending binges. And a weekend, 
to the big city and literally would be astounded when he got back and looked at what he bought or when the credit card bill arrived, just dumbfounded as to where did these charges come from? Or I had no clue that cost that much. I know probably to most of you that just sounds unbelievable, but believe me, it can absolutely happen. So what we need to do is to escape this, this buyer's remorse, this Monday morning quarterbacking, is to somehow put time between the, our impulse to buy something and throwing down the credit card. Okay, This can be really hard because this just can happen in a nanosecond, literally, right? A good thing to start doing is to build meditation into your life. This is one of the best things to start practicing becoming aware and especially becoming aware of difficult emotions. A lot of this is happening because we are resisting difficult emotions and you are not aware of this. In the beginning stages of this, you are not aware that what you're doing, uh, I refer to it as medicating, right? Or soothing these difficult emotions. So meditation can help us become aware that we even have them. And I remember when I first started a meditation practice of uh, feeling sensations and things, uh, maybe in my chest or here and there. And, and when I just stopped, and really uh, kind of inquired and, and uh, learned to allow those to come, I found an immense amount of difficult emotions were behind those. So watch when you buy. What happened right before that time? What triggered that buy? So learning to meditate, the, the standard is 20 minutes twice a day. It's hard to carve that out. Over time, I've struggled to carve out the 20 minutes. I started with five minutes, and I had a, a number of life-changing events just with five minutes a day. Another thing you can do is journal, right? Journaling is writing down on a piece of paper, usually longhand. I think uh, the pros suggest longhand's better than, than uh, typing. I don't really think it matters. Sometimes I type, stream of consciousness typing. And, and so what's that stream of consciousness? That is writing down whatever comes to your mind without filtering. Now that can be really hard. We've got a lot of parts of us that say you can't think that way. You aren't allowed to have those thoughts. OMG, I can't believe you just put that down. If you can ask those parts just to relax, Okay, those judgmental parts and those filtering parts. Let them know you're not saying this to any other person. Uh, let them know you're not bad or evil because you're having these thoughts. Uh, let them know you're not going to show your paper to anybody. In fact, if you need to burn it when you're done, burn it or destroy it. And see if you can get into a routine of letting thoughts just pour out of you onto paper. 
this in itself can be incredibly insightful and incredibly healing, just in itself. Another thing that's important to do is when you're thinking of buying or between the moment when you're reaching for your credit card and putting it down, I mean, I'd be preferable to do it a little bit before then. Ask yourself, what's my intention behind purchasing this this item? Is this something I or my family need? Another thing to ask is, am I so tired from working so hard that this is a treat, right? So the workaholism, feeding, the uh, buying. And um, another really important thing, how does this purchase fit with my values and goals? Is this supporting what's really important to me? And uh, so look for congruency there. Now, after you do all this, if the the answer is uh, appropriately yes or appropriately no, then of course you can you can make the purchase, and you may make the purchase anyway, right? Make time. Another tip: make time for doing things you love with the people you love. Again, this is starting to. Uh, to switch us from the focusing on the money, focusing on the inanimate object, to focusing on what we know, what research tells us is going to give us a lot more satisfaction in life. So, you know, this typically means creating time for doing the things that you love, with the people you love. When uh, just working and money is the focus, of happiness that becomes the goal. And it's kind of a self-fulfilling stone that's rolling down the uh, hillside gathering more moss as it as it goes. Now this can be hard. I remember one of my biggest fears was a day off. I had no clue what I would do. Well, don't take a day off. Take an hour off or two hours off. You know, take baby steps in implementing any of these things. Likewise, you know, have specific times throughout the week to connect with somebody important to you or even doing something yourself. Put it into your schedule. Make appointments with people, coffee appointments, or to take a walk. I find it needs to be in my schedule. If I just have it, okay, next week I'll do this without getting it into the schedule. For me, it's probably not going to happen. Also, I've talked about these reminders. I use alarm.com on my uh, Apple phone. And uh, you can have reminders pop up to remind you to do something. Those work really good until you get into the habit of just deleting them when they come up, which I have done, right? (laughs) Okay, clearly this is not working to get a reminder. We got to try something different. So setting a time, specific times, to be with yourself. It works for me to have a specific time to meditate, a specific time to connect with somebody. So these are just some ideas that might be helpful in getting a handle on money worship and starting to get some flexibility. This is the key with money scripts, getting flexibility around our money scripts so they aren't driving our life, so the rigidity around them is not subconsciously driving 
every decision that we make around money. So I hope this has been uh, helpful to you. And in next uh, part of this series, we're going to take a look at money status. So thanks so much for joining me. Your uh, listenership means a lot. I'm just uh, very honored and very humbled that you would take the time to download these and listen. And I hope that uh, you received the gem in some form or fashion. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.